0: Welcome to Gravetop Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are continuing our series about things change. Today, specifically, we're talking about how I feel different. And the main idea to today, today's message is having self-reflection to be able to understand the things that have shaped our worldview and learning how to determine our future self. Now, when let's just go back and think about when we were young In those moments where we imagine that that the way we see the world and the way that we are will never change we almost imagine that our lives will never change and in our naivety we think that we already know all that we need to know and that we're going to have the the friends that we have right now are going to be the friends that we have forever well one day we look back and we realize that we are completely different than who we thought we were and Or at least we're completely different because of our life experiences that we go through. We inevitably become a different person because of the things that we go to, through. And it changes us and it changes our outlook on life. And today we're going to talk about the aspect of, of changing within ourselves. And we're going to unpack that chemistry behind what creates our worldview, and our different types of reactions to the world around us. Now, we're we're also going to open this idea of learning how to take control of your personhood in order to determine for yourself what kind of person you choose to be. And the reason that this conversation is so important to have is because so many people feel like life just happens to them. And we don't even have a moment to recognize what we're going through. And it happens so fast that we, we, don't, we don't really have a moment to reflect on it. And simply it, it simply changes us as we go through it. And while some changes in our lives can be edifying, other changes can be damaging. And you don't have to be a product of what you've been through. That's the biggest thing we wanna take away from today. And you can decide what kind of person you want to be despite whatever has changed in your life. Now to help us to really grasp this idea, I I love looking at different people of scripture. Today we're going to look at the person of David and we're going to unpack part of his story so that we can relate and and pull some, some learning ideas. Now our first point is, was I always like this? Was I always like this? You have that moment where Maybe you, maybe you had a less representable moment where uh, someone flicked you off on the road and you ended up getting out of your car and throwing up your hands and then you reflect later, was I always like this? Or maybe you have a moment where you uh, you yelled at your kids and later in the day you're thinking, was I always like this? And so we have these moments where we reflect and I, wanna, I want you to understand that all experiences in life shape you, but your reaction to those things is what defines you. And to understand that that we have the these good experiences, these bad experiences, ugly experiences in in life these different types of experiences they shape us in such critical ways and they shape how we see the world, they shape how we see ourselves. And I feel like life experiences is almost like radiation fields. I remember watching this documentary this about the the Chernobyl event where there was a, a nuclear meltdown I don't know if it was a nuclear meltdown it's more like the the nuclear reactor exploded but it was this meltdown and when the firefighters showed up to the scene they did not know that they were that they were attempting to put out a radiation fire which is completely different and they were standing in a radiation field without realizing it but then later, their bodies were reacting to what they had gone through. In the moment, they didn't even recognize it. But days later, their skin began to melt. Their their veins literally uh, collapsed on themselves because their DNA was changed due to the radiation. And in life, I feel like we go through experiences like that to where in the moment, you, you don't necessarily recognize that you are being changed, that your DNA and your outlook, your worldview is being altered, it's just like you're just there in the moment and you're just experiencing it. But later, whether it's years later, whether it's months later, it, it changes you and you, your body and your heart, they react later. And I think that when we look back at our lives, especially in adulthood, there's these moments where we start reflecting on our adolescence, even our childhood, and we, we start to recognize certain events changed us and in the moment we didn't recognize it but years later now we're realizing that we were standing right in the midst of a radiation field when we were going through that life experience and for David I feel like that is exactly what he goes through. He goes through some intense life experiences to where he's being chased. He's a veteran of war, fought blood for his country and then the king out of jealousy and animosity decides that he wants to kill him because of his jealousy. And now David who was, who fought for his own country is now a veteran fleeing from his own government. And all the while he has these moments, even opportunities to be able to kill and seek revenge over the king, like literally right standing right over him while the king is asleep and having the opportunity to take vengeance, but choosing not to. And see, all of as we read through David's story, it's like you just kind of like, you're almost like glazing over these moments, like, oh dang, that's crazy. But I want you to just imagine what that would really feel like. Like the, the raw hatred that would boil inside your bones, like that, that that feel the feelings of being unjustly accused and sought for blood, like that, like think about what that would make you feel like how discouraged you'd feel one moment, how angry you'd feel the next. And now we're going to with that in mind, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 5 through 13. This is in a moment where David and his men uh, uh, they found this this caravan if you will of shepherds and they protected the shepherds and and keep in mind like in those times when shepherds would go out to to graze the field, like take the sheep out and all that It'd be very common for raiders to come by and steal, uh, beat them, kill them. It's like if you're, you're, in a sense, defenseless. It's the Wild West out there. And instead of David's men raiding them, they were actually, they were described as being a wall of protection around them. That Not only did they treat them kindly and in good heart, but that they protected them while they were around them. And that, that shows that there was literally raiders that did come by and David's men protected the shepherds from the raiders, that they would have been raided, that they could have been killed, but David's men protected them out of the, out of the generosity of their heart. And in the Jewish culture, it was, it was a common custom to be brotherly to your neighbor, especially if you ever were out in, in the country and you found another Jew that especially in foreign land, that you were supposed to take them in as family, and that that kind of culture easy, is even prevalent today, to where you, when you find people of your own kind that you that uh, among the Jews that they would they literally can they take them in as their own. Now with all that background, let's now let's read. He sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Nabal is the owner of those shepherds and the sheep that they protected. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, keep in mind, too, sheep sharing season, what that means is this, this celebration time where there's, like, already a party going on. There's, like, in a sense, there, there's uh, food and, and drink flowing, and uh, and David and his men, they're simply asking, can you share some of your provisions with us during this time of celebration as, as uh, you know, because we've been kind to you, we're asking you to be kind to us. And this is what it says. "'Who is this fellow David?' Nabal sneered to the young men. "'Who does this son of Jesse think he is? "'There are lots of servants these days "'who run away from their masters. "'Should I take my bread and my water and my meat "'that I have slaughtered from my shears "'and give it to the band of outlaws "'who come from who knows where?' "'Now this is what you call talking trash.'" And he's not just saying, "'No, I'm sorry, I can't help you.'" He is being aggressively and vehemently rude. Is calling David, who is a man of honor, a man of noble, who's fought blood for his own country, he's a veteran, and calling him a, a a slave. That you're nothing but a you're nothing but a tax worker who ran away. He's he's being nasty to him. So David's young men returned and told him that what Nabal had said. Get your swords was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then four hundred men started off with David and two hundred remained on guard. To guard their equipment. See, in this scene, David turns into a full outrage, and he's ready to not only murder Nabal, but he he shares in the dialogue following that he's ready to, to destroy the entire household. And think about this for a minute. Like, yes, Nabal was unnecessarily rude to David, but be that as it may, he had reason to be upset, but his reaction is definitely overkill. Like uh, you're talking about a complete stranger being rude to you. And you're saying I'm going to kill you and your whole family like that. That is overkill. And in this instant, David, his reaction is not built from this moment alone. His reaction is built from the chapters before in which David is being unjustly hunted by saul see a chapter right before this david chose to spare saul's life and i think now that we read this part in context we see that even though he chose the, chose to uh, spare saul that he gave him a chance of mercy it's a commendable act of righteousness But be that as it may, we see now that that was a lot harder emotionally for David to do than we realize. We think that, wow, David's just this nice guy. But we see that it actually was breaking him inside to not just seek vengeance. I mean, he could have just killed Saul and been done with it. But since he didn't, now he and and 600 men are still on the run. And it's like, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of pressure to, to know that even though he did a good deed, for Saul, Saul still sought to kill him afterwards, time and time again. And so what we're seeing now for David's reaction to Nabal is that his life experiences changed him slowly into a man that, that, that never wanted to be tra- treated unfairly again. See, in this moment, we're seeing the same thing happen. He was nice, but people were mean. He was nice, People were mean. And this is a moment where David just like blows up and he had it and he's done. And to, to this extremity of being willing to murder a stranger in his entire household. Now, for us, I think that we can relate to where how many times have you reacted to say a coworker, maybe you reacted to, to your kid and and you know that it's not necessarily because your kid or your coworker or even your spouse uh, deserved that kind of reaction, but because you've already had it up to here. It's like whenever you have a fight with your spouse, all of your coworkers have to deal with it, because that anger, that life experience, transfers over. And when you, uh, when you're acting, when you react rudely or you're mad at something small at work, it's not really because you're mad at that. It's because you were mad at the fight before and it's flowing over. It's bleeding over. That's what these life experiences do. Luckily in this story, Nabal's wife, Abigail, ends up going to meet David, carrying some provisions along and and calms David down and apologizes on behalf of Nabal and and. David himself, he thanks Abigail from saving him from murder. He he literally says, you saved me from a great sin today because uh, surely if you didn't show up here and calm me down, I was about to kill everyone there. And he recognizes that that was straight up murder. He recognizes that it would have been a great sin and it would have stained his life forever in that moment. But thank God for Abigail who calmed him down. See, he's about to do something so, so uh, permanent over something so trivial because it wasn't really about this moment. It was because of all the stuff that was built up to it. In the same way, when we go through those life experiences, we subconsciously are changed by, uh, in how we see the world and how we react to the world around us. And while we can't always control what happens to us, You can control how you want to react. It may be difficult in certain moments to choose how to react, but in the end, we can all go through the exact same life experiences, yet come out with completely different outcomes and perspectives, because at the end of the day, we have a choice in how we react. For David, he recognized that he did not want to be a vengeful, spiteful man that kills on the fly like that, that he truly desired to be a man after God's own heart. And we see that. He chose to be who he wanted to be rather than becoming what uh, what his experiences could make him to be. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, with that being said, now let's talk about this idea to look in the mirror. Self-reflection unpacks the passion and drive to your soul. And it was in this moment of self-reflection for David that he remembered what he really cared about, that he didn't want to murder people, that he, that he doesn't want to live a life of vengeance and revenge, but that he wants to live a life after God's own heart. See, he remembered what really mattered to him when he had that moment of self-reflection. And for us, we need to take time to look in the mirror ourselves. And we need to unpack what really matters to us and consider what really sparks your fire, what really puts puts wind in your sails, what really makes you passionate. And it's only when you stop to reflect. See, I think that we, we end up just letting life happen to us. Life just happens to us and we... We give our attention to what is most recent rather than what's most important. And I, I, it makes me think about how it's only when we have self-reflection that we're able to realize who we are and what we've been through. We are able to analyze our morals. We're able to, to, to uh, unpack what we believe to be right and wrong. And we can look backwards to see if we agree with things that, that we were told or things that we experienced, or if we, believe, uh, if we believe something completely different. It's in these moments that we develop moral opinions about our upbringing. We can develop moral opinions about our surroundings. And this is where we decide who we are, who we want to be. And it's this moment where we can reject, accept, hate, love, grow, or stay the same. It's only when you look backwards, though. Think about certain ideas, even about like important things, like about ideas about God, ideas about the government, about politics, about marriage, that you say would believe right now and ask yourself, do I believe this because other people told me to believe this or because this is what I genuinely believe? Do I believe this only because of this one thing that I went through growing up or do I really believe this to be true? And for me, it makes me think about like a moment where I went to ministry school, and the specific ministry school I went to um, had a, a worldview that that almost be, that somewhat believed that you had that suffering for Christ was necessary in order to be saved. Like your 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 salvation is almost like dependent on your willingness to sacrifice for God. And it was it, it turned out to be at first it sounded kinda of okay, but then it turns out to be like this very works-based Christianity that that now I don't believe is even biblical. It it turns into this performance-based salvation that takes grace out of the equation. And the main one of the main examples I'll use to, to share with you is the verse that they they built the school on, which is Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, see that verse, the emphasis was on, I have crucified myself. (laughs) I have sacrificed myself. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's that all of the emphasis was put around what you're willing to sacrifice to God. And it, it, it led to, for me personally, before going to that ministry school, I, I experienced a lot of pain and heartache and, you know, violence, all kinds of things in the world I, I had self-harm, but never once did I actually have a, a genuine thought of suicide. After going to this school, I, it was the first time in my life where I had real genuine thoughts of suicide, extreme depression, to where I was like fantasizing about ways to kill myself. I was in a really dark place and it took me years to realize that it was because of this ideology, this worldview that was projected onto me that deep down I didn't even uh, uh, agree with, but I had to reflect on it. And when I go to, when I try to find answers for things I have questions about, I find that God in the Bible often have the, the, elaborate, the, the elaborate answer that I need. And for this specific thing, I found something so pure because uh, I realized that this passage is actually speaking abundantly about grace and not about works. But it's only when you read it in context. See, in context, starting in the verse right before and reading the verse after, it says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Now the verse my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God who loved him, me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if, but if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there is no reason for uh, Christ to die. So what the, when I look at it in in the full context, the very verse that was projecting perfectionism is actually speaking abundantly about grace to where Paul literally says that I stopped trying to meet all the requirements of the law, meaning that I stopped trying to be perfect. And once I stop trying to be perfect, I realize that I actually can live for God. That I'm not making this checklist, but I'm actually just able to have this, this organic relationship with my creator through Jesus and that's when he when he says my old self has been crucified with Christ, he is saying my old self who tried to make who tried to become perfect by being perfect enough for God to to uh to love him, said I've crucified my idea of being saved by works and I realize it's only because of what Jesus has done that I might be saved. It's no longer I who live, no longer I who earn salvation but Christ who is me, in me. It's all about clinging to Jesus. And, he, and he's clear to say, I'm not, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. What he's saying is, I'm not saying that I swan dive into sin. I'm not saying that I, I allow myself to throw off all restraint. But what he, and then he goes on to say, if I just realize now that if I could be perfect, then there's no reason that Jesus needed to die for me. I'm not going to just go swan dive in. I'm going to practice restraint. But I realize that even when I fall, that that is what the grace of God is for. And man, see, when in context, this gave me a completely different belief than what was projected to me. Now think back to all of your life experiences and think about how often, how many times something was projected to you or painted onto you, but when you look back, you realize that you simply believe something else. And the the reason that this is so uh, important is to understand that it's so important to know why you believe what you believe. It's so important. And it, it should, this should give you more motivation to look to God in the Bible for the answers to all of these life's changes. The world and life, it tries to paint these images of us, but when we go to our Creator, when we go back to God, He is able to help us to find who He originally created us to be. Consider for a moment that He is your Creator. He is your originator. And when we are in this world, The world paints us, but when we go back to God, he's able to, in a sense, reset us or regenerate us to who he originally created us to be. And the more that we look to Jesus, the more we realize how our lives are not defined by what has happened to us, but that we are able to find the most authentic version of ourselves in Christ. For me, after going through uh, my life experiences, after going through trauma, I thought that I was a violent person who who stole, who, who, uh, was willing to take what was his. I I, I stole, I hurt people, and uh, and now, uh, and then I was selfish. Now. I realize that when I've come to Christ, I actually don't like hurting people. I like helping people. I realize that I don't want to steal. I like to be generous. See, I have found who God has really made me to be, not because anyone told me to be those things, but when I come to Christ, I find those things, my original self. Now that leads us to the very last point, and that is change what you want. And what I mean by that is that you always have a choice in what kind of person you want to be. For David, he consistently found himself in these forked road moments where he had to make a decision of what kind of person he wanted to be. In the same way, we all have those same kind of moments that have the potential to define us. Those choices that have the potential to, to say what kind of person we are. And once we decide who we want to be, life still goes on and life still changes. So that's why with all the changes around us, there are certain parts within us that need to say that we need to make as a as a bedrock to be steadfast in certain things that we need to look at and see if this is something we need to change. That's why it's so important to know why you believe what you believe, and you should strive to understand yourself and learn what moments you should be movable or moldable, and what moments you should be immovable. And there are these. I, I've, I like to imagine almost like a like building that see with a building there's these pillars in your life and, and that's pillars of who you are that these are the uh, and there's also the walls of our character and then there's the curtains of our lifestyle that can change over time now let me unpack this for a minute pillars are your core beliefs and morals that that don't relatively change the if a pillar were to change if a pillar were to fall you would feel like your entire life was collapsing with it. Everything in your life would be caving into whatever pillar that was. Like for me, a, a pillar in my life would be God. If my if my faith or belief in God were to dramatically change or alter, then everything in my life would cave into that moment. It'd feel like everything else in my life would change because of that one pillar. Another pillar in my life would be like my marriage. If something were to happen in my marriage or with my children, my family, then that would be a major change where everything would cave around it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Those are those core beliefs and core morals to who to who you are. Now the walls, these are defining characters of who you are. See, these are character traits that shape you and how you treat others and how you see yourself. These things are the strong aspects of yourself that embody who you are. It's like the ideas of being patient or angry, the ideas of being Generous or stingy. See, these are major character traits. To change them, it would take either a lot of hard work or a perfect storm to knock down that wall. See, you can always erect another wall if it gets knocked down, but it takes time to either be to be rebuilt. And it it makes me think about like a major life experience. Maybe like uh, maybe that wall for you was like self discipline, and you have like this routine of of getting up uh, at 6 a.m. and you, you have the same routine that you do every day and you're very self-disciplined. But say a, a major life event happens, whether it's a perfect storm or a big change in your life, that would knock down that wall. Whether it's like the job that you had for 10 years, all of a sudden you got let go and it makes you go into somewhat of a depression. See, your that wall would feel knocked down because of a major life event. It can be built back up or, or it could be stayed knocked down no matter what, these are these major character traits. And keep in mind that you are able to build whatever character trait you decide. You are able to choose to be generous. You're able to choose to be kind. You're able to choose to be patient. It just takes time to build that wall. But you are not a product of just being cursed with anger. You're not a product of being cursed with being short, uh, 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 having no willpower. It, It is something that simply takes time. Now, the final thing is the curtains. These are the things that are interchangeable with you and your lifestyle. These are the things that you would imagine to either let light into your life or to shade you from the heat outside. It's a curtain, and this could be anything that uh, from like habitual hobbies or lifestyle things that that help you. For me, like a major curtain that helps uh, uh, helps let light into my life is like my devotion time, like reading scripture, that lets light in. It helps me to see things and illuminate uh, this clarity. It it gives me this guiding force, and it's something that is uh, uh, life-giving to me. It brings in light. Another curtain for me would be like uh, working out. Working out for me, it, even though I work out in my garage, so the heat it doesn't it doesn't shade me from the actual heat, but it shades me from the heat of life. So where you feel like that high stress and intense moments. Working out for me helps alleviate that heat, that stress, and it's a curtain in my life that can be interchangeable. So with all that being said, I want to share this last verse. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are... Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See this passage about the fruits of the Spirit. It gives us imagery of choosing who you want to become. Saying, if you need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that, if you need that, you can ask of the Holy Spirit to to bring that about within you. It's a beautiful imagery, and anything that you don't want in your life it's it's saying that you can bring it to the cross. It's saying crucify it there. It's saying bring whatever part about your, your your life that you do not want and bring it to Christ and have this trade-off for the Holy Spirit to give you something. It's this imagery that you get to choose who you want to be. You can choose who you want to become. If I want to be a good father who's patient and present for my kids, then I choose to be that. I'm being mindful. It, and with everything that I'm saying, you see it's 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 no longer about uh it's no longer about what has happened to you that's made you the person you are. It is now about reflecting on those things but choosing despite what has happened to who you want to become. And whether that's uh whether that's for you today to simply grow within yourself, to have that self-reflection or maybe for you specifically you're realizing that the number one thing that you need in your life is a simple aspect of Jesus. You you maybe you've never had a moment where you've put your trust in Jesus and you're realizing today that you're not just simply cursed but that you can let Jesus into your life and you feel that urging that 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 motivation to put your trust in him. And if you've never done that before, you can do that today. And it's as simple as having a conversation with him yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, that's all it takes to start this conversation, to start this journey with him, this relationship with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You're able to talk to him yourself. If that's you, I encourage you to have that decision, to have that conversation today. Don't let another day go by in another moment. As soon as this is over, just talk to him. Now, all that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of our online community today. I hope that this message was edifying to your, to your soul, that made a difference in your life. If if you would like to help us to continue to make an impact uh, through this ministry in other people's lives... That, all you have to do is go to GraveTopChurch.com and you can click the Donate tab. When you donate to Grave Top Church, you truly make a difference and empower us to continue to reach other people just like you. We wanna make it clear that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. It's something to be done out of your own heart. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, and right before that verse it says, do not give out of compulsion. So again, this is for those of you who have it on your heart to give, is a simple act of worship between you and God, We're simply stewards of that gift. But it truly does make a difference and empower us to reach other people. All that being said, thank you so much for being a part today. Until next time, have a great life.